Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bite Your Tongue, the podcast. Before we start, I want you to know that this episode is a rewind from season one. We like to rewind every so often when we think an episode deserves another listen. This is one of those episodes. In this episode, we explore spirituality and religion. As we just wrapped up some major religious holidays, I wonder how many of you struggled because your adult children have different beliefs or no belief at all. More and more young people are turning against religion, and we're wondering how this is affecting families. This is one of our earliest episodes, and I have to tell you we struggled a little bit with our sound and connection, but the messages are loud and clear, and our two guests are two of my favorite. So here you go, spirituality and your adult children. We can only live our own lives based on the spiritual practices and customs we have thoughtfully chosen for ourselves. Not because we grew up that way, but because we find meaning. And we can only hope for our children that they find a way, a path in which they find meaning beyond the day to day. Welcome to the Bite Your Tongue podcast. I'm Denise, and I'm joined by my good friend, Dr. Ellen Broughton. We've been through many years of parenting together, and now we're ready to talk about the ins and outs of parenting adult children. Your diapering days are over. Now it's time to consider when to bite your tongue. So let's get started. Hi, everybody. Today we're talking about spirituality and religion and our adult young children. Joining us for this discussion are two amazing women who I know will offer quite a bit of insight, compassion, and advice. First, let me introduce a dear friend, the Reverend Elizabeth P. Randall. Elizabeth is the rector at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Denver. But what I hope Elizabeth will share with us today is her compassion and open-mindedness. Elizabeth was one of the first clergy in Denver to recognize and perform weddings for the LGBTQ community. She's been happily married for over 30 years to someone who is Jewish. Together, they have one daughter. Ellen, why don't you introduce our second guest? I'd like to introduce Galit Gottlieb, who's actually Elizabeth's sister-in-law, married to Elizabeth's husband's brother. So we're kind of all in the family today. And I know that they're both going to bring wonderful perspectives to this topic. Galit, who practices conservative Judaism, served as a synagogue cantor for many years. She's also a very talented musician and an author, as well as a mother and a wife of a Jewish scholar. Her children were raised in the Jewish tradition and now are all in mixed marriages. Now, I think this topic is one that's going to make a lot of people think and maybe feel some things. Religion is one of those subjects, along with sex and money, that we never want to talk about or aren't supposed to talk about. And I was thinking about this topic in my own life as we were preparing for today's show and thinking about the fact that I was raised in a Lutheran home, but two of my grandparents were Catholic and one was nothing. And we found out that not long ago that that relative, that grandfather of mine was Jewish. And we had at least another grandparent who was Jewish because my mother and I found out we are more than half Eastern European Jew, according to 23andMe or Ancestry.com. And now I have a nephew who's very interested in his Jewish heritage, even though none of us have ever practiced Judaism. 
I was very much raised in the Christian faith and then fell away from it. And when I had my daughter, my grandmother said to me, when is the baptism? Because I've already bought my dress. And I thought, oh, I have to find a church and somehow arrange a christening. And then I stayed in the church for quite a long time until my kids were grown. And I've not been very religious. But in thinking about my grandchildren, I would love for them to be raised in some sort of a religious tradition. So it's really interesting how as our kids grow, our religion changes with that. And so my first question for each of you, and I I hate to put you on the spot like this, but I think it's an important one, is what place did religion hold in your families when your kids were little? And how has that changed as they've grown into adulthood? I'm really curious about that. I'll go first. As Janice said in introducing me, I am married uh, to a Jewish man who has been non-observant all his life. So before we were married, not in any kind of deal-breaking fashion, but just in an exploratory conversation, we discussed if we were to have children, uh, how would we want to bring them up? And he said, this is something that's very important to you and not important to me and my family. So I think that we should bring up our child as a Christian. So uh, he was, when our daughter was very young, I was ordained an Episcopal priest. So though I took her to church for the first couple of years of her life, uh, once I was ordained, he began to take her to church. Uh, So uh, that was something that they shared, and in some ways, I think shared their uh, their skepticism about what was going on at church. When she was old enough, uh, simply to be dropped off, his church going days ended. Uh, but uh, it, it was something oddly that she shared with her Jewish parent rather than her Christian parent for some of her formative years. Fascinating. And has that changed now that she's older and married? And perhaps, I don't think, she doesn't have children yet, right? She does not have children yet. She does not ever attend church except at my request on Christmas and Easter and for funerals. I was going to say weddings and funerals, but no, none of her contemporaries get married in churches. So funerals are the other place where she intersects with actual church practice at this point in her life. And Glee, how about you? Well, thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast with my sister-in-law. Um, so I'd like to preface by saying that Elizabeth and her husband fixed me up with my husband, David. So I am forever grateful. Also that I was raised in a traditional Jewish family and had never been to church until, until I had the honor of attending Elizabeth's ordination back in the day. So I have a huge appreciation for the work that she does. We met each other just as friends long before they fixed me up with Alan's brother. And we both, I think, found that we were both people who, for whom faith and tradition and a religious path was important. And I know I found that I had a lot in common with Elizabeth regardless of the difference in exactly how we, in the choreography of how we pray, we both believe in one God. So, so I just wanted to point that out. And uh, the second thing I want to point out is that uh, I think it's important to note that Judaism is a culture in addition to being a religion. 
So, and the word faith is viewed very differently in Judaism. So the answer is I raised my children following traditional Jewish practices and customs, some of which they still find meaningful. What they don't find meaningful as much as I did was prayer and the part that involves synagogue. But much of Judaism takes place in the home. And both of my daughters light Sabbath candles. And my kids celebrate Passover in different ways and come home for the holidays. We joke about this, but many of our holidays involve, um, they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's eat. (laughs) My kids are all in for that. I want to get straight to the point here, though, um, with both of you. Um, I, I hear from Galit that you're okay with your children, it seems like, in an interfaith marriage. Um, I'd like to know, were you disappointed when they didn't select someone who was Jewish? But also, how do you handle your children not taking the same religious path as you when both of you had a pretty, um, I don't want to say strict, because that's not the right word, but um, like you said, religion was very much a part of your lives. So how does that make you feel? How do you handle it? Is it, are you disappointed? Are you accepting? How do you handle it? And what advice do you have for others that are facing that same kind of thing? I want to preface by saying none of my children are actually married yet. They're all in long-term relationships. And um, (laughs) so their significant others are all of different faith. I think each of my children thought long and hard about their paths. And I think it might have been easier for them had they managed to find Jewish partners. But here's the thing. They each found an incredibly kind-hearted, sweet-natured, good person to fall in love with. I I remember my daughters asking me questions like when they were younger, like, would you you prefer for me to marry a really good person who happens to be Christian or a selfish, bitter Jewish person? And I would, I would, I would say like, are those my only choices? Are those your only choices? (sighs) Was I disappointed? Yes, I have to be honest. I I was disappointed that they didn't choose the path I wanted them to, but but who am I to dictate what path they chose? Even those who raise their children orthodox of any religion under the most, you know, difficult, like tightest strictures and laws and rules and special uh, costume, you know, the way they dress. Even those people have children who leave the fold. And I have more to say about that, but I'll I'll come back to it. Okay. Go ahead, Elizabeth. I'm wondering if some of what is disappointing to you isn't necessarily the religious aspect, but what you said was the cultural aspect. And I think it's one reason why I brought up that, you know, as an adult, I have this nephew who's interested now at looking at his heritage, not necessarily to find the spiritual connection, but the family connection. And I know, for instance, Denise was raised in the Greek Orthodox Church. And part of the reason why she wanted her child to be raised in Greek Orthodox is partly because it's her heritage, it's her culture. And is that part of it or is it more the religion itself? That's a tough one, because, as I said, Judaism isn't just a religion. It is, you know, there's this really long history. There's so much history. There's so much um, that the Jewish people have endured. And I, I, my disappointment had to do with feeling like I was breaking a chain in some way. 
But the truth is, we don't know what's going to happen. We don't, we don't know what they're going to come back to in their lives. What's going to happen when they have children and they feel like, I want my child to have something. We have a family story. I hope it's okay to tell. You can cut it out if it isn't. That my parents, who were both raised in much more orthodox um, as first-generation Americans, their parents came to this country. They, you know, managed to get out of Eastern Europe, Hungary, and um, the Belarus, the Pale of Settlement, the Belarus region now. And my parents wanted to raise their kids without all of those um, rules and regulations. They didn't want to give up the food or the culture, but the rules and all the studying and everything. So they decided they were going to wait till um, there were four of us and they were going to wait till we grew up and we could make our own choices. I I don't know how they were okay with it, but that's what they decided. It was a different time. You know how everybody was trying to be American. That was the first thing. And one day when my sister was six or seven, she came home and she said, mommy, Jesus loves me. And my, Elizabeth, did I tell you this story? (laughs) (laughs) And my mother said, who told you that? And it was the little girl next door who went to Catholic, um, a Catholic school. And her name was Lori. So my sister told my mom and my mom said, Jesus loves Lori. He doesn't like you at all. (laughs) Okay. Maybe I would handle it differently. And the next day, my parents um, had, we were um, enrolled in private tutorials with a rabbi who came to our house and began teaching us the Hebrew letters and the traditions and the prayers. Like that, that was the end of their experiment. We don't know what our kids are going to do. And I think, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is as we, as we work towards um, this conversation is the parents who say they want to let their children decide for themselves and how that could be an experience of loss. And I think maybe in, there's so many areas where we as parents try to give, give to our children the best of what we have inherited and the best of who we are, knowing that it may break our hearts when they, when they choose another path. Uh, but to say, I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to enter into this arena either so that they can choose or lest I get really hurt when they do something else. And I think it leaves children impoverished if the parents have a strong tradition Mm -hmm. that's valuable to them and they withhold it from their children. I was thinking about uh, a young woman I worked with. Uh, a number of years ago who had been brought up with no faith tradition so that she could choose for herself. And after, after a real-life crisis uh, in, in her very early 20s, um, came, came to faith and started attending church and only discovered after her baptism as a young adult that her father had been deeply immersed in a spiritual tradition and practicing it in secret all her life so as not to influence her. And that that left her without the tools that she needed to encounter a life crisis as a young woman. Uh, and so I think, I think we do end up uh, facing loss sometimes if we offer our children something and they reach for something else or for nothing. And yet, 
Um, if it is precious to us, I think we have some kind of responsibility um, to at least offer that gift. I totally agree with that. I was also concerned. I've known people from different generations who weren't raised with anything, um, who, who ended up in a similar circumstance or ended up being able to be, somebody could easily pluck them out to join a cult or to join something that isn't, wasn't as healthy because they didn't have an, a clear understanding of who they were, where they were from. Even if they don't choose to be what their ancestors were, they should know it's worthwhile to teach children who they are. Especially if it's if it's an important part of your identity. And I think that's something Galit and I share. You know, she talked about uh, in the bond that we felt in, in the midst of a family where most people um, did not have a religious practice or um, a particular uh, spiritual life, uh, and and that that's an if it is part of your life, uh, it, it it's essential. Uh, it shapes who you are, and to withhold that from your children or from your life partner, so as not to. Um, so as not to try to influence them or to or to um, exaggerate a difference, I think I think leaves you um, offering less than your full self to the people who are the most important in your lives. Both of you talked about um, your spirituality that you had with you, and there's one God. I think the thing that is more bothersome to a parent of adult children is when the child chooses nothing. And um, I, I think you can accept that, but, um, and I don't know how Judaism in, is with this, and I was raised Greek Orthodox. I already watered it down, though, Ellen. I married someone out of the faith, which was very hard for my parents. But I raised my kids Greek Orthodox, so that's fine. It's okay if you marry outside of the faith, as long as your children then raise their kids in some sort of spiritual situation. But I think, what do you do when your kid leaves the faith and then decides they're agnostic or doesn't want to practice anything. I've heard stories of grandparents who kidnapped, not kidnapped them, but they're babysitting the grandchildren and they run them off to get them baptized because it's a fear. You know, oh my gosh, I don't know what, you know, I believe in God. If they don't get them baptized, this kid's going to hell. You know, how does a parent deal with that? And how, you know, do they talk about their religion with their grandchildren when they're with them? Do they ask their adult child to please baptize them? Or do they just leave it completely to them? I think a lot of people struggle with the opposite. When their children and their grandchildren become conservative Christians, for example, and that might not fit with their political beliefs. It's the same sort of thing. What happens when your child and your grandchildren then become something, you know, or believe in something that you don't believe in, whether it's nothing or whether it's too much of something else? I think it's all the same sort of adjustment. And I do wonder what you guys have to say about that. I have to say that God is viewed in Judaism as less concerned with what you believe and more concerned with what you do. So, so if I was able to stress the importance of my and my kids, I, I'm so proud of them. So if they're feeding the hungry, volunteering with people less fortunate, giving money to charity, visiting the sick, all those things that we consider mitzvot or commandments that, that Jews follow. If that happens, I would, I would tell parents to be proud of 
of their children who are doing what might be considered as God's work, even if their beliefs have veered in a different direction or they don't have belief. But the, I don't I don't know how that is in in other religions where faith is preeminent. I really love that. And what you believe is very important to a lot of Christians and particularly uh, Christians who are more conservative. Uh, it is it's not it's not important to me uh, personally and not not something that I uh, am distressed about in terms of my daughter becoming uh, agnostic at best. I have to I have to stop for a minute and, and tell a story about my daughter. I promised I would try to work it in. Um, I I texted her and talked about this podcast, asked her if it was all right with her for me to do it. Um, and she wrote back and said, yes, that's fine. Thanks for asking. And then the next text was, please tell them I worship cats. <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> so that's kind of where my daughter is coming from, a, a sort of very wry distancing from anything religious. And, and I'm, I'm I'm telling that story partly by way of working myself into something that may prove um, it, shocking or distressing to some of of your uh, some of your listeners. Uh, in that, I have come to believe over the years that there are people who simply don't have the longing. And, and I'm not going to say capacity because I'm, I'm not willing to say that, but, but don't, sometimes I think of it as a gene. They don't have the religious gene. It is not in their makeup uh, to be searching for the more or for the beyond or to, um, or to be examining their choices um, and their, and their desires in, in the context of, uh, of, something of ultimate worth. And and I certainly have come to respect that that's simply true for people. And I think it's probably, um, I, I suspect it's true for my husband and my daughter. Um, and so how, how do I uh, approach the fact that, it, that they don't have a practice? I think this is where I'm similar to Galit, by looking at uh, values and actions and saying, are they congruent with what I believe um, are characteristic of a life of meaning, uh, of purpose, which for me is deeply connected to my spirituality, but, but I think I really understand that that's simply not true for everybody, and that you can live an ethical, meaningful, compassionate life without a religious practice. And that I ought to relinquish any longing that I might ever have had um, to to see that in people for whom it's it's not authentic. Authenticity is a core value for me. So why would I try to to um, elicit from them something that is always going to be inauthentic? How would you approach the opposite issue? Let's say you have someone like your husband, for example, or maybe, you know, a couple who both sort of feel that way and has a child who's deeply searching for a religious connection and might go quite deeply into a religious path, maybe in a way that scares parents even more. 
What kind of advice would you have for that sort of parent who is agnostic and has this child who decides to become very involved in a religious practice that might be uncomfortable for the parent? I think the times that that's really painful, and I've known some families like that, and the times when it's really painful are when uh, the family member joins a um, a way of of faith that that advises cutting oneself off from people who don't believe the same way, and that's that's the kind of tragic situation that you see in other um, other situations as well. So that it's not actually about faith; it's about moving away from the people you love, um, and I think it takes it out of the realm of being a different way of believing and into a life choice that brings grief and sometimes even shame to your family. Uh, And all I can say is it's just terribly, terribly painful. Uh, And I have tried to be present to those people as if they had suffered another sort of tragic loss. You can't fix it. You can't make them feel better about it. It's a loss. If it's not that extreme, then I think you ask questions like, has becoming religious, uh, and I'm putting air quotes around that, in this way, made your child more open, more uh, able to deal with life's vicissitudes, uh, more more able, more available to the people around them. And if that's the case, then if it's a different way of faith, it's bringing them joy and peace and comfort. So I think that it's two di- very different situations. I think we all as parents had our, those of us who are parents of adult children, we had our chance to raise our children the way we thought was best. But once that time passed, we have to accept their decisions no matter how heartbreaking. And I'm just grateful. I, um, like Elizabeth, I contacted my children to tell them I was doing this and ask if they had anything, any input. And my son, when I asked him, um, what can I say about your connection since he is like the grandfather of Marion and he share, not interested in uh, religion. And I said, what, was there anything of value you learned in all those years of observing, you know, Judaism, Jewish day school, Jewish camp, continuous study. And he said that what his takeaway from that was um, community and family. And he's not going to, that, that he's not turning over. I'm grateful for that. Yeah, those are two really critical, important parts. And I think everything you're saying um, makes so much perfect sense. And I hope it gives our listeners some strength because you have given me a lot of strength and a lot of, um, because I think um, that whole idea of actions, I've always said that my husband is not religious. And I've always said, you know, they have that term, what would Jesus do in the Christian faith? And I look at my husband and I think he's, he represents that more than most people I see that are telling me they're very, very religious. I watch his daily actions in a way that are beyond anything that I see from many other people. So that has given me, you know, um, uh, allowed me to marry someone that was not religious because of their actions. And I have to take that also to my children. And I think that makes perfect sense. I think for me though, sometimes I think that um, we all get so busy in our lives. And I always try to say to my kids, whatever you believe, try to stop and be grateful for what you have. Because I think 
for me, that's what church and spirituality do. I don't have any real high powered beliefs that it's this way or that way, but it makes me stop. Um, and be grateful for a minute because our lives are just rushing, 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 rushing. And so I just ask that they stop and be grateful. Can I add something? Mm -hmm. So when um, friends or people I know talk about this or upset that their children did exactly what we're talking about, chose a different path, I always want to respond that they need to remember how blessed they are to have raised thoughtful, generous, considerate adults. And this is the thing I want to say to them. If you believe in a divine presence, then you should understand that if belief and adherence to your specific religious practice was so important, that divine presence would have made sure that it happened. Does that make sense? Yes. For those of us who as parents uh, find ourselves not sharing a, a way of being in a faith tradition with our children. I think we, we want to turn around and ask ourselves what, what our own faith is showing us, you know, picking up on what Galit said about who God is, uh, to ask ourselves, what's my conception of God that would make me concerned? about where my child is in the world. If, if I am in relationship with a God who is merciful, beneficent, compassionate, uh, then surely that God is completely accepting of where my child is. But also my point was that why do we think we get to choose? Why do we think we have so much control over everything? Well, we don't. Because clearly we don't. <laughs> And I think another thing is just because our adult children don't share our way of being in a faith tradition doesn't mean that they necessarily don't respect it. Um, and if, if we are being clear about what it does in our own lives, then, uh, it, then they see something that is of worth see something that they can respect about us. And I, I think about the, the number of times uh, that my daughter and members of Botany family, actually, um, have asked me to pray for somebody. You know, this is, this is something that I know you do. This is something I recognize not only is valuable to you, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say is valuable to the world, that it matters. It's not something I do, but it's something you do, and I'm asking you to do it on my behalf. That is a lovely thing to think about, and it shows that our children do honor us in ways that we don't always expect them to. And I'm thinking about religion, too, in this way, that it's sort of like a container for a lot of our fears as parents and also a lot of our desires as parents. Denise has been talking on many of these podcasts about fear in many ways. It seems to be a theme in many of these episodes. And part of that fear is that our kids aren't on our path. And so religion in some ways is being on the same path as our ancestors. So we want that for our children. Yet at the same time, being a parent of an adult really means separating what we want from what they want. And so religion is sort of like in the Venn diagram of those two things. It sort of brings both of those things together. 
And we have to kind of play out this separation and also this connection to generations on the same sort or in the same sort of sandbox. And it's complicated. I think that's so true, Ellen. And I guess I sort of, when I understand, you know, Greek Orthodox is a lot, there's more Greek in me than there is the Orthodox. And I already watered it down by marrying someone that wasn't Greek. And my kids will not marry someone Greek, I'm sure. So that's going to be watered down. But I want to go to religion. When you say, Billy, what control do we have? When I get upset or think about it, I think to myself, you know, really, when a child's born into a family, boom, they're Catholic, boom, they're Jewish, boom, they're Muslim, you know, boom, they're agnostic. And who are we to determine just because they're born into our family that they have to become whoever we are? You know, I mean, we want to share our values, like you said, our actions, our compassion, our, you know, that sort of thing. But Who's to say when you're born to a Catholic family, boom, you're Catholic, boom, you're this. I mean, I get that. And I think you have to think beyond that, just like you guys are saying. Well, and I think Judaism is a a heritage and a culture as well as a, a faith. You can't be, actually, you can be born into a Christian family, but you're not born a Christian. You become a Christian by baptism, and so there is there is an element of uh, you know there there's a great longing on the part of some parents or grandparents in particular to have children baptized, thinking that uh, that will continue them in that same heritage. But that but that is something that has to be embraced anew in uh, in adulthood. The same way that, that someone would, well, not in the same way, but in a similar way, someone would decide to continue practicing Judaism. Uh, but Christianity isn't actually, there isn't, um, at least in, in my way of being Christian, there isn't as much of a culture or a heritage, uh, which means that there, that there is more of an element of your child could choose a different way of being. And, and in some ways, wander farther away from from your faith, um, because we don't have those home based traditions. We don't have a heritage and a culture. Do you really believe that? I know when a child's born, okay, they aren't Christian, but do they really have a choice? I mean, in the Greek Orthodox Church, they're baptized at you know six, seven months old. I don't know what it is in most of the other churches, but do you think they really have a choice? No, and and some Christian traditions, you wait until you do have a choice. Um, but I do think, and so you are you are um, made a Christian at baptism, but it is still something that you can walk away from in a different way. The prayer book doesn't say that. Don't tell the bishop I said that. Um, but it is something that that you can say. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do that anymore or be that anymore in a way that that Galit, Galit will jump in, I'm sure. You can't walk away from it. You can't say, I'm not going to be Jewish anymore. You can say it, but it's not true. You can say it. You can say it. But the but the world hasn't allowed it to happen in many, you know, for many generations. I think things have changed to a great extent, and now people can do what they want. But yeah, you're born Jewish if your mother is Jewish. And even in more liberal denominations, if your father is Jewish too. Do you think part of the answer to this is finding different ways to be connected with our children? 
Because from what we're saying, religion is for many of us a connection to a cultural heritage. Because even in the Christian faith, even in the small Midwestern town where I was raised in Wisconsin, there were even different kinds of Lutherans. There was the Swedish Lutheran Church, and there was the German Lutheran Church, and there was the Norwegian Lutheran Church, and they all had services in different languages many years ago. And even though it wasn't at all what you're saying in terms of the tradition, it somehow connected the families with their heritage some way. And when we don't have that, do you think we need to form new sorts of ways of celebrating events when religion isn't part of that? I'd like to try and answer it that. I have often spoken to people who aren't sure what they want to do with their children and maybe they don't want to be whatever religion and they don't know what they want to be. And I always advise that you find consistent things to do on a daily and weekly basis because it's kids love that, first of all. And whatever those things are, you sing the same song every night. Maybe it's a song about God. Maybe it's a song in a different language that's meaningful. Greek, if that's what's meaningful. And maybe every week there's a dish that you prepare. I'm, I'm known for my challah, which I bake every week. And my kids, no matter how, and I think a lot of people's kids, no matter how far they stray, they're going to always remember delicious things and the family circumstances of eating together and stopping the rest of the world, you know, put, setting it aside to celebrate things together. You don't even, perhaps, I mean, I don't know how people do this, but maybe you don't need to have a religion in order to do that, in order to create customs. I love this idea. I think that's true that, that you, because people long for connection and they long for community and there are different ways of dealing with that. Um, I have a yes, but in this case, and that is uh, when you reach the, when you reach the bitter and terrible losses that life will bring you no matter what. Is there a more that surrounds you? Is there a beyond to which you can look? And I don't have an answer to this in terms of our adult children and where they will turn. Um, so that, that that's a question um, because I think that that's another piece of this dance of community connection. And in some ways, a need for the ultimate that that isn't always met by ritual or heritage or even by story, uh, but is there? I totally agree that it's it's a huge question for a lot of people. Um, my my mother always felt, even in her, uh, even in the days she said when she wanted everybody to choose on their own, she always felt that life cycle events need to be done in the traditional way, the way they've been done for generations. And that's really difficult if you didn't raise your kid, if you don't raise your kids with those traditions. When my, when my father died last year during the pandemic, um, the, everything of course was curtailed. We couldn't do anything in the tradition, in the traditional way. We couldn't gather together to sit Shiva. And we ended up doing it on 
on Zoom, which had its good and bad points. And even the least, you know, the people who have turned their backs on Judaism, everybody came. There are some things that you just keep doing. One other thing that I know we wanted to ask before we run out of time today, and it sort of gets at what you were talking about before, which is there aren't as many young people going toward religion anymore. And why is that? Why why is it? What is the reason for that, especially in this generation of the 23 to 40-year-olds? They've sort of dropped out. Do you expect them to go back to that? Is this just a temporary thing? Is this, you know, are we in this sort of conversation because they just haven't found their way back? Or do you see it as a sign of things to come? I think it's a sign of things to come. Uh, And I don't think it means the end of religion. Uh, But I think that so many things about our world have changed. And so many things about the way that we do religion or faith tradition that are precious to us are rooted in an earlier time you know a a religious service is slow it's the same every time with a with a few changes it demands a different sort of behavior uh from what we're accustomed to and uh and we have Speaking, speaking for myself, my observation is that we have let a lot of young people mistake those forms for the substance of what of what's precious to us. Uh, so I think there's some adaptation that's necessary, um, and I don't know what that looks like. But I don't think we can suddenly expect. Uh, when a whole generation and a half of young people become parents or face the loss uh, of a parent or a spouse or a dear friend, that they're going to say, oh, what I need is a faith tradition. But rather, there will be more searching. Uh, So I think it's partly on those of us who are within the faith traditions to say, how can we communicate what we think is of ultimate value rather than what the forms are? Because we really like the forms. I wonder how these uh, structures that our forefathers put up in over the centuries, the giant cathedrals, the beautiful synagogues, um, if the upcoming generations are going to be willing to pay the amounts necessary for the upkeep. I wonder about it. Especially now that they find they can do everything on Zoom. They don't even have to go into a building. Is that going to keep going? I don't know. I think think about this in terms of the architecture of um, of religious organizations and the music. Uh, And I think that there is also a longing in the human spirit for beauty. Uh, And that some of those buildings and some of that music draws people in uh, and speaks to them at a level uh, beyond, oh, this is a beautiful church, or oh, look, look at this beautiful synagogue, or oh, listen to that music. Uh, and it touches, touches the heart, touches the soul. It certainly touched my soul, but it didn't touch my children's souls as much. 
It's so interesting, though, because I really feel what you're saying in terms of our lives and how quickly they move. But it's so interesting that on every corner, there's a yoga studio because we all want to slow down. So it's still there that need to find a space that's quiet. And that leaves us with our own thoughts and that connects us to something outside of ourselves. So it's interesting that we still have this. And I guess we're just, you know, changing as a society. And it's very interesting. And one of the things that we always do at the end of our podcast is we ask each one of our guests before we end, if they have two takeaways, two or three takeaway messages that you would want our listeners to know. So Elizabeth, why don't you go first? Some people won't be surprised to hear me say this. I have something that's either one or three, and I'm not sure which it is. Um, But I'm thinking about people who worry about their children if they have no faith tradition or a different one, and thinking about the questions that I ask myself. So this is the one or three takeaway. And it's, it's love, forgiveness, and hope. Does your child have the capacity to give and receive love? Does your child have the capacity to ask for or offer forgiveness? And does does your child have a sense that no matter what the world looks like and no matter what they encounter, there is a future, there's a possible future, a good future in which they can invest their hope? And if you can answer yes or Pretty much, I think so most of the time. Um, Then you can bless your child on their way. That was beautiful, Elizabeth. Galit, can you top that now? I cannot. I can only say that we can only live our own lives, I believe, based on the spiritual practices and customs we have thoughtfully chosen for ourselves. Not because we grew up that way, but because we find meaning and We can only hope for our children that they find a way, a path in which they find meaning beyond the day-to-day. That is wonderful. And I love ending on this note. I can also say, though, you might even just try telling your daughter or son that you already bought a dress for the bris or the christening, and then that, you know, that might just work. Thank you both for joining us. This has been so enlightening and so great. And um, I can't wait to hear the final episode. So thank you both. And I'd like to say thank you so much for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to have this conversation with my lovely and wonderful sister-in-law, Elizabeth. And I'm so glad uh, to be here with my dear sister-in-law, Galit, and my old and dear friend, Denise, and to reconnect with Ellen, whom I have always enjoyed so much. And this is, it it has really lifted my spirits uh, to be with you three women for this hour. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for joining us today. Before we close, I want to tell you a little bit more about Galit Gottlieb, as she is quite a Renaissance woman, and I think many of you will find her of interest. In addition to her role in the Jewish faith, she earned a BS in piano and psychology at the Jacobs School of Music and her MM in voice at the New England Conservatory of Music. Her career journey's been diverse, from cantor to high school music teacher to an administrator of a law center. But through it all, her love was writing. So after a battle with cancer, she decided to combine baking and mysteries two of her passions, into a culinary mystery series. 
Her first novel, Battered, a whipped and sipped mystery, was released in 2019. And the second book, Smothered, a whipped and sipped mystery, was released in February of this year. And finally, she's the host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. We'll make sure to provide links to Galit's books and her podcast series in our episode notes. Thanks for joining us, Galit. And thanks again to all of you for joining us. We hope you were starting conversations in your homes, and this is giving you some food for thought. Remember to send us your ideas, connect with us on social media, and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. We've got a lot of great episodes coming up, so stay tuned. And thanks again to our audio engineer, Connie Fisher. We couldn't do it without her. And thanks to all of you who continue to motivate us to continue. But always remember, sometimes you may just have to bite your tongue.